time, Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. And thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. This episode was recorded a couple months ago at this point, so I'm really happy to finally get to it. Time is so weird right now. And when I heard about this family and her story, I was really excited to learn more. And her and her husband are always interested in promoting opportunities for those with disabilities. So I'm thankful she took the time to let me know about this program that's in our own backyard here in Washington, surrounding higher education for the disabled and neurodiverse. They've been involved with Washington State University ROAR program, which stands for Responsibility, Opportunity, Advocacy, and Respect. Since first hearing about the possibility a couple years before it was launched, their involvement and interest was from the perspective of parents of a potential student, as well as being educators themselves. Their son, Evan, who has Down syndrome, had always wanted to go to WSU his entire life, following in the footsteps of his entire family, and learning of Roar's development was a dream come true. So they reached out to the founders and developers of the program at the College of Education at WSU and the university administration fully embraced the concept as part of its land-grant mission. From there, the program accepted its first student cohort in 2018. I hope to talk with many other parents and caregivers about future opportunities of inclusion for our kids. I think this episode is going to lift your spirits and give you a lot of hope. And after you're finished listening, make sure to go find Evan on YouTube because he's guaranteed to put a smile on your face. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lisa Henniger. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Effie. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about the program that you are a part of and the advocacy that you've you know, been connected to with something called ROAR. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to be a part of this program? Sure. Our son, Evan, has Down syndrome and has always wanted to go to college, always. And we sort of downplayed that possibility for quite a while until we realized that there are programs out there for kids with intellectual disabilities. Most of them, like 95% of them, were in the East Coast, at least east of the Mississippi. And we weren't thrilled with the prospect of him being that far away from us. There were some other programs here on the West Coast, but they weren't resident. And many of the programs with disabilities are for um, disabilities that are not quite as profound as the intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities that we're dealing with. At any rate, uh, Mike and I are big, strong uh, Cougars, fans of Washington State University. And from them, we learned that they were interested in developing a program for students with disabilities, the ROAR program, Responsibility, Opportunity, Advocacy, and respect that makes up the acronym. So when we learned that they were developing the program, we obviously were extremely interested and became involved at that point. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that there were any higher education learning opportunities for anyone in a university setting for kids with intellectual disabilities. So I was really excited when someone shot me this email about this program. It's the first of its kind on the on the West Coast. Why do you think the East Coast is so far ahead in this sort of inclusive and diverse educational opportunity than we are? Honestly, I don't know. I, I know that uh, WSU has a very strong mission for and with their land-grant university status. They have a strong mission to serve all aspects of our society and our people. And their outreach is very strong through extension offices and their statewide campus system and that sort of thing. So when the opportunity arose and they had some interested faculty members who wanted to work on it. They jumped and raised the money to do that. The two faculty members that were the original founders, if you will, to the program, both had experience with these programs at other universities on the East Coast. Nice. How lucky. So how does tuition work for this? Are there scholarships and grants or how does that work to get, you know, the young adults involved? Uh, There are some scholarships and it is a finance and stuff. WSU is a financial aid institution, approved institution, and the ROAR program is an approved program for financial aid. There is that possibility of financial aid, but there are a few hiccups to it. The students in the ROAR program are not officially considered credit for taking courses for credit. They audit the, the regular WSU classes. So there is a problem with the financial aid meeting the uh, requirement that a student be a full-time or have a minimum number of credits. That they're still working on, but I can't say that that's um, readily available right now. Mm, so just some bureaucracy to iron out. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> so was Evan one of the first people to get into the program then? Yeah, he was among the first five students accepted to the program. That was their, as they called it, their soft opening. They um, accepted five students in. For one student, it, it just wasn't, it just didn't work out. And he had to leave um, the first semester. So the remaining four stayed on. And uh, it was so successful for, I would say, for all of them that stayed with it. Unbelievable growth from our perspective with our son. And I see the other students as having the same amount of growth, though I, you know, I didn't know them before the program, but they're great kids. Then this second year, uh, the program admitted an, an additional six students. And nice. the next year, I, I believe they're hoping for a, a, a cohort of 10 to 20 each year, but they're building slowly toward that amount. Wow. So do they all take classes together or how does it work when they decide like what they want to go into school for, what classes they're taking? How does like the daily work? Okay, so there are is a set of, of core classes in the ROAR program. Those include classes like um, health education, financial literacy, and how to, uh, I'm, I'm not saying the right word of the, of the class, but it's how to prepare yourself for the future. So job skills, uh, what professional training you need, that sort of thing. So those are the what's called the ROAR classes. And there's three or four of those classes that they all take together. Then in addition, the program engages the student in the on the onset from the very beginning through a person-centered planning, the PCP, and those faculty members were able to draw out of the students what their true interests were. 
that was an amazing thing for us to see as parents because we thought we we knew what Evan wanted to do because of what he told us. But the way they worked with him, I, I don't know whether, I, I'm not quite sure how it was, whether it was the safety of the environment or the um, ease with which they all could talk, but they were able to get Evan so excited about his field. And it's a field that we didn't really know he had that much interest in. So as they help these students identify their passions, then they line up the regular WSU classes that these students can take for audit. And that, of course, needs instructor permission. And the students, the ROAR students are usually, well, so far, they're the only ROAR student in those classes. So Evan has a class in Fort Management, but he'll be the only ROAR student there with anywhere from 20 to 100 uh, typical college students, and they all take the class together. Evan yeah. doesn't take it for grade. It's pass-fail. He does complete the assignments to the best of his ability. The instructor may have him take the final, which they all, each one he has had to take a final, but it's a revised final. He has projects. He has group projects with the other typical students, and those are so heartwarming. It just brings tears to my eyes how well those students <laughs> all work together. Yeah, that was one of my questions was, are these students just in classes together or are they educated alongside their neurotypical peers? So that is so amazing to hear that. And yeah, I bet there's so many tears watching these other students alongside Evan and each other learning, you know? One thing that we realized at the get-go was obviously these programs help the students with disabilities, but we hadn't realized how much they help the students without disabilities, the more typical students. And those students, not everyone, of course, but those students have risen to the occasion and they're, the professors have welcomed these kids. It is very heartwarming. It's also beneficial to those typical students because they get experience in working with people who are different than, than they are. And that experience can take them a long way in their own personal and professional development. Absolutely. Everyone's luckier for it. Did you see a difference in the way that they responded as adults working alongside Evan than they did maybe in K through 12 when he was educated alongside neurotypical peers? Or was he kind of in his own special education department solely in K through 12? Oh, no, he was not in. And I mean, he had some special ed, but he was more in typical classes than than not in um, K 12. I think the only our K-12 experience was fantastic. The teachers of typical students welcomed Evan into their classes. And so that part was not unlike what he had experienced in, say, high school. He had his peers were the neurotypical, but he was very comfortable with that situation. I think the only difference was for the instructors at the college level. They had not, by and large, they had not had that experience of having a student with a disability or that level of disability in their class. I think some of the college students had some experience because that sort of integration is is thankfully more common today, but not all. So it's been a learning for everybody. Yeah, I would love to see testimonials from those professors and those peers about this program. That'd be cool. Yes. 
Yeah. So what was his original idea of what you thought he was going to be going into instead of sports management? He thought he wanted to be in education and be um, help with particularly young children. And he had had a lot of experience with that in high school with some of the um, projects that they did. And he's, I mean, just were from a very large extended family. So he had lots of experience with nieces, nephews and cousins and so forth. And he still does love that. But when he went over to WSU, his passion was sport management and he's thrived in that. That is so cool. I saw a video of him working at one of the counters. I don't know if that's in a gym or or where it's at. The student rec center. Yeah. The student rec center. That's awesome. And so is that an internship or is that a job that he carries at the school? It started as an internship uh, and then he applied for and got a job. Nice. So what have you seen over the last two years of how much this has changed Evan? Well, he's far more independent and capable than I thought. <laughs> and when you go through the application process, they interview this, the prospective student and then privately they interview the parents. So those are separate interviews. And one question that they had for parents was, are you able to let your child go to be that far away from you? In our case, it was about 350 miles. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so it, it makes you think, but we wanted this so badly, we were willing really to do anything to give it a try. But I hadn't realized how Evan was capable of handling life, what life throws at him on his own. And when we were around, his default was to turn to us to help. And as parents, that's what we did. And so when he was on his own, uh, he didn't have us to, to troubleshoot for him. He had to do it. And the program people over there were so, so good at realizing the potential of each student and letting them, really requiring them to do things on their own before they got, you know, as we would see, being bailed out by somebody else helping them. So they, those kids have risen to the challenge. And if there's a problem in the apartment, if there's a maintenance problem, he'll call maintenance. If his computer's not working, he'll call tech support and schedule a time. If he's not feeling well and needs to go to the doctor, he'll go to the health center, schedule an appointment, you know, take care of it all himself. I really had no idea that he could do that. Wow. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's not to say the total independence, but the level of independence is, is greater than what we thought. Yeah. I was talking to a counselor a few weeks ago, and she uh, works specifically with people who have disabilities, including parents who are raising them. And I asked her what maybe one of the main concerns that the children and young adults have had, and they've all said that their family members don't give them enough independence or don't trust them enough to, you know, maybe complete certain tasks. And so they don't necessarily push further. You know, we've all heard of helicopter parents and it's, yeah. it's easy to helicopter even a typical kid. But when you have a disabled kid, that instinct is even stronger. And so it is something that you need to be aware of. It's hard to know. It's hard to be that self-aware to realize what you're doing because you don't want your child to suffer. You don't want them to fail. But then as we realize that if we just step back and let that happen, they really have way more capability than obviously than we thought. So you sign Evan up for school and then it starts and you drive him to campus. And then what? He he lives in a dorm. He lives in an apartment. Yeah, they live in student apartments. Originally, I had really hoped that they would have 
a dorm experience at residence hall, as they're called now. I think in hindsight, it was smart for them to go for the student apartments. They're university-run housing, so they have a good landlord. They have support. That, uh, they have residential, they call them ALAs, assisted living advisors, who live upstairs. There's Right now, they're pretty full. There's four, four male students and four female students in the two apartments. So that, that kind of makes it crowded, but it's great experience for learning how to get along with people, for um, just kind of dealing with the, the normal roommate issues. And honestly, that has, the roommate issues are nothing more, nothing less than what roommate <laughs> issues have had for all the other kids, you know, so it's, totally. it's very, it's a very normal thing. It's a bit, the students who want to cook and prepare their own food, there's, you know, there's a kitchen there and in, in the apartment for students like Evan, who loves the dining hall he can it's right there on campus so he and some of the other kiddos um, walk to the dining hall for for most not all of their meals he did he prepares some of his but we really encouraged him to use the dining hall because that's just a quintessential campus experience that we wanted him to have absolutely and just any you know more chances for socializing yes i think is really great wow i'm so stoked i'm so stoked about this so when is evan gonna graduate is do they do they get a proper graduation how does it work when they're finished with their courses they do get a proper graduation they walk with the rest of the university students who are graduating they'll have cap and gown they get their certificate they'll be with the college of education in their graduation ceremony Sadly, the COVID-19 has messed up graduation for these kids as long as well as every other graduation ceremony in the country. So uh, they hope to hold, they're having a virtual graduation in May. They hope to hold an in-person one in August before school starts again. And so we're, we're all obviously hoping that that'll, um, that that'll turn out because it's really, I mean, it's too bad for every student who has to miss this, but we were really counting on that to kind of cap it off. Yeah, let's just really hope for August. I hope they can do that in person because that is a moment that maybe you thought that you would never have and Evan maybe thought he would never have. And I think it's a monumental thing for Roar in general to be able to kind of follow through with. Yes. And for, particularly for their first class, it was it was going to be a great thing. <laughs> and it still it is will. a great thing. <laughs> but it's just Dang different. COVID. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. I hope they make some video of it and put it on their website. Oh, Really oh, I, to see that. I am sure that I'm sure they will. This is a pretty big deal for the whole college and university as well, but particularly the College of Ed. So what about the teachers or the professors who are involved with this program? Were they like special education teachers? Were they teaching, you know, like regular classes before and kind of moved into this? Well, the there were two professors who um, were the original founders of the program and they helped develop the, the um, curriculum and so forth. They both had experience with these programs at other institutions and they were um, regular faculty members of the College of Education and then they taught they and some graduate students graduate students taught the roar classes okay graduate students the instru the instructors for the other um university classes are the same as any other university class instructor some are professors some are graduate students some are instructors you know that the, it runs the gamut but for evan's class all of them have been on the um, professor side of of it rather than the GA or, or TA side. The students who are helping the program, they have the, in the ROAR program, of course, is the ROAR classes and then the audit classes. 
And there's also a peer ally program where typical students sign up and are interviewed. They have to go through a selection process and then they're chosen to be peer allies for the ROAR students on campus. So it gives them an opportunity to for socialization and um, somebody to run to the grocery store with or go to the games with or, you know, do whatever. And those that's a, a very active group. It's, um, again, another very heartwarming example of what they do. The ROAR instructors themselves are either professors or uh, two are, are PhD students. Mm, that is so cool to hear about the peer ally program too. Hopefully, ho yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to share that with a couple young people I know who are starting college soon. Very cool. That'd be great. So hopefully in August after Evan does his walk for his graduation, what about what's next? What's next for Roar? Are you going to be participating in anything further after Evan's gone or will you be moving on to whatever other goals you've had with him in his job life? I hope I'm involved with Roar for for the duration. We think Mike and I both agree that it's a fabulous program that is de deserving of our support, both support as we can financially, and we are we would love to continue to be representatives, if you will, the the kind of a parent representative for parent perspective of the program. So I'm pretty sure that he and I will stay involved with it. Since the first year kids were the first year, they were sort of the guinea pig class, they did offer them an opportunity for a second, or excuse me, a third year if they wanted. And we, we may take them up on that for a semester um, for Evan, in part because they kind of lost this half of the semester, you know, being taking it from home, which has worked better than I ever dreamed it would. But he would lo love to go back. And so I think we'll take him for an, have him over there for one more semester and then um, he'll be hopefully by then things will be a little bit back, back to normal and he can start job hunting and so forth. That's really cool they offer that yeah because this is obviously an abrupt and unexpected sort of stop in his experience so yes. that, yeah that'd be really cool. So what are they doing now to continue classes? They have them uh, they have their zoom classes I think there's a there's another program besides Zoom that they use, but I'm not familiar with it. But the Roar classes are all on Zoom. They have every day. He has an eight o'clock class, and he's up here um, on the computer doing his classes. And for us uh, to be able to overhear his level of participation, what he contributes, and uh, we can't hear the other side of it. Be because of the the way that the you know the microphones and so forth speakers set up, but it's. We had no idea he contributed and, and volunteered as much information and um, participation as he does. So it's been it's been really great. And not only that, to have them become so adept. I mean, anybody's more adept than we are, but <laughs> well, it's hard, technology. as we know from trying yeah. to connect to our call today. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Maybe a little sliver of, you know, light in this is that you actually kind of really got to see his experience a little more and how he is in class. That's really cool. Yeah, it was a very nice um, benefit. Is WSU kind of explaining this program when they go to high school campuses or when there's like job fairs, career fairs, stuff like that? Is this program kind of out there or do, do we have to sort of search for it as parents of kids like ours? I'd say a little bit of both. They are trying to get out as much as they can, but as you, you know, every university program is limited by budget. And so as they can, they attend um, pretty much all of the Northwest meetings pertaining to special ed and the um, 
the, like the all born in conferences, the um, they do high school visits transition fairs, I know that they've been to many of those. So they're trying their best to get the word out. They do mailings to special ed teachers and um, to just build awareness. There's a couple things that I've noticed that, first of all, you know, to, to have to travel to come to these, um, particularly those on the west side. Spokane's pretty close, but those of us on the west side, and also some of the smaller um, places, you have to depend on those conferences and so forth because you can't physically go to every school, for example. The other thing I think that they're dealing with is, I alluded to the financial aid situation with it, that a lot of kids depend on financial aid you know, to get through school. That's not an uh, unusual event at all. So they're working really hard to kind of grease those skids to remove any barriers for those kids. But the other thing is that for many parents just didn't know that we haven't had enough warning to be able to start saving for our student to go to college. I, you know, it wasn't the first thing on my mind to set up a 529 plan for Evan when he was born. And so I think that as we can reach younger and younger students and their parents, to let them know this is a real thing. This is a real opportunity that your student may be able to partake in. And so just to give them a little more of a heads up that that kind of planning is needed. Yeah, hope for the future. You said a couple of things that I had never heard of yet, like transition fairs, 529 plans. I haven't heard of anything like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're young. I'm still pretty <laughs> new to this world. Yeah, the tran- transition fairs. I have fairs, no clue. Yeah, transition fairs are what they sound like. It's to help students and their parents navigate the transition from the K-12 system and the um, know up to age 21 that's the transitions program after age 18 they they often um will join in with it or fold into a transitional program through the k-12 system and then uh so transition fairs are to help parents and students kind of navigate what's next where what can i do after after formal public education or or private education whatever but what's next and so those transition fairs help with guiding and sort of setting some pathways available and since this program is new it not you know where they're trying their level best to get the word out and to um, let it be known of this opportunity but part of it is just knowing that the program exists the other part is preparing your child to be um able you know to participate in this learning enough about the program to sort of allay any fears you may have about sending your child to a residential campus that's not in your community and so it it does it's a learning curve for for everybody just kind of building awareness yeah gosh parents of older kids with disabilities always seem to have like so much grace and patience <laughs> you just seem so much so much calmer and everything. Well, believe me, we've had our <laughs> share of sleepless nights <laughs> and lots of worry and concern. I'm not sure that that ever stops. But one thing that as you know, parents, we have typical kids as well is you worry about all your kids no matter what. But there's a little extra worry about uh, those with disabilities. It's yeah. a little weightier. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really excited to have heard about this. And I'm happy. I'm so happy to be able to share this with other people families so we can get working on those college savings because no it isn't necessarily something I would have thought would ever be possible for my son and it just gives me a lot of hope and 
really excited. And thanks to parents like you who are, you know, advocating for it and talking about it and donating money to it and using their kids as guinea pigs in a sense. I'm so thankful to parents like you. Well, it is actually is our honor to to represent and support this program because I, I believe that strongly in it. I, I honestly can't think of another thing. And I got to tell you, when we learned about this this program, I mean, it was it was just a dream come true for Evan. And he, you could have knocked us out right over off the floor. We, <laughs> I could not believe that we were hearing that this possibility existed after all those years of wishing and hoping that something would like this would show up for Evan. So yeah, it's a good deal. Well, I'm so happy that he's living his dream and I bet he is just thriving and he obviously is even more than anyone thought he would, which is so cool. It's true. Yeah. So is there anything that you want other parents and caregivers to know? Do you have any words of wisdom for parents like me and hope for their future? Well, I think doing what you're doing now is probably the best thing, finding out, you know, get, gaining awareness, learning about what may or may not work. The, the, the number one thing that I would like to pass on is never sell your kids short. And you, you don't do that consciously, of course. And as parents, we worry about our kids, their safety, their growth, and are they going to be accepted or bullied or, you know, what have you. And, but if uh, take that leap to... I, sh- I shouldn't say take the leap, but at least strongly consider things that might be out of your comfort zone. It's not for everybody, for sure. And there is, that's why they have um, application processes and interviews and all of that. But go ahead and take, take a leap of faith to at least try to consider these opportunities that may exist. Thank you. That's really important. Cool. Well, I'm so excited. This is more than just an achievement for your family and for Evan. It's for all of humanity. And I'm so excited to know about it. It it truly is. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, Lisa. I'm really excited to spread this. Thanks, Effie, so much. If you have any other questions, just let me know. Okay, I will. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. All righty. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.